Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here, thank you for joining me, and it's been a bit of a while, hasn't it, so, um, you know, good to be back, I guess, <laughs> I think I was actually enjoying um, the few weeks off F1 in particular um, quite nicely, so it's interesting being back here, and um, I didn't actually watch the Baku Grand Prix, Azerbaijan Grand Prix live on, on Sunday, I had a... <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, I had a gig to go to uh, the wonderful Sleep Token, who seemed to be um, all the rage at the moment, uh, were back in Australia, so I got to go see them. I saw them last year supporting a band I love called North Lane, so um, when they came to do a headline show on their own, I was like, I have to go see them, so um, really, really awesome was it as awesome as the Baku Grand Prix or the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I keep I keep saying? Probably, yes, it was definitely better than the Azerbaijan Grand Prix because it turned out to be not the most exciting of races. I did watch the highlights, um, or I did watch a replay of the entire race before anyone comes out. And he's like, oh, you didn't watch the race and you don't have an opinion about it. Um, and had watched all the practice sessions and, and the sprint race as well. It was the first sprint race of the season too. And I'll talk a bit about sprints as well because there were some changes which was kind of alluding to last time after the Australian Grand Prix, but already kind of indicated I'm not happy with the direction in which um, they're going. Yes, it takes, you know, practice two, which was on Saturday morning, and a bit useless in this sprint format weekend away and replaced by a standalone qualifying, which means the finishing order of the sprint race doesn't affect the Sunday Grand Prix. But I just saw, <clears throat> you know, when sprints were brought in, they were quite inoffensive. I could take three a year, um, which meant, you know, if there was one good one or, or two good ones out of the three, because we've not had three good sprints in a year so far, um, you could walk away and say, oh, you know, it was all right and didn't it didn't bother me too much. But there's six this year. There's this whole new format for Saturday as well, which I'll be fair, like given how much F1 had hyped up the Saturday or Sprint Saturday, whatever they want to call it, and a super sprint shootout using all these really fancy words. Um, the Grand Prix on Sunday almost felt like an afterthought. It's like, well, we had qualifying on Friday for that, and Sunday felt like, oh, well, who cares, because we're all here for the sprint race now, so that's where, this is the first time, I think, since we've had the sprint come in, in 2021, um, that I felt like the Grand Prix, the main event on Sunday, is kind of losing its prestige, or even just the focus, because everyone's like, oh, Saturday, it's, it's all this whole thing, so, I don't know, like, I don't think they're going to ditch the idea now I think they've gone too far down that hole and you know Stefano Domenicali and and F FOM Liberty Media whatever you want to call them um seem to be obsessed with this idea that this is what everyone wants I mean I don't know you care to share some survey results please um not saying that I'm entitled to no, you know, but it's it's curious and it makes me it makes me curious and I find it really interesting. Um, 
And yes, you can accuse me of looking through rose-tinted glasses and, oh, you know, it's the, oh, it's messing with the heritage of the sport, the tradition, and, you know, Max Verstappen also coming from the same page. Oh, but he had a shocking weekend. He's only being critical of the sprint because he got hit by George Russell and then proceeded to calling him a D-head. <laughs> and some other expletives we used to. I think it's that is irrelevant. Max has been critical about this before what happened in Baku, and in fact, I pointed out, I uh, wrote an article which I'll put to publishing as well later this week about the fact that, yeah, Max has actually won the most sprint races of anyone since they've come on board. He's won three of the seven that have happened, so, you know, I think he's probably most qualified to have an opinion it's like the whole Shane Van Gisbergen thing um giving some criticism and feedback about Gen 3 yet you know he was proceeded to being gagged or told by the the top brass as he referred to as um you know to to keep it stun on that so yeah Max is entitled to have his feedback but yeah you know I just feel it was pretty dull it was an anti-climax at the end of the day. The most exciting thing that happened was um, Russell and Max going at it in the early laps. And Russell, to be fair, you know, he had the slower car. I I think what he did was commendable to try and get some track position early and, you know, possibly even um, assert himself over Max, which, you know, no one asserts himself over Max, which is just a fact. And it was inevitable that he retook that position third position as it were after the safety car that we had during the sprint um so they're just some thoughts you know as always it's my opinion you can love it or hate it or, or not care that's that's even better really what's the point of me um doing this then anyway god i <laughs> sound so um what's the word for it self-loathing today or or self-deprecating <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, uh, it's not intentional, really, um, but yeah, it's, it's how I feel anyway about it, how it's gonna go for the rest of the season, when's the next one, I think Austria, Austria, we have good sprints anyway, or we've had some decent sprints there in the past, um, but yeah, just, it's, it's really cringeworthy, and, disappointing that this is the route that the sport's going down i had some more stronger words that i used um in the article so probably best check that out and it'll be on posted on my socials so make sure you're following um at hit the apex media on twitter and also i guess go for the my personal account to at dr 46 as well the links are always in the um link tree attached to this show so sprint race aside, um, but congratulations to Sergio Perez for taking out the sprint. Um, Charles Leclerc was on pole for it, and also for the Grand Prix. So we had two poles in the weekend, um, yet still couldn't convert anything. And something has been made as well recently about his very low conversion rate. So you know, it's like 30% of his poles have actually translated to wins. And I think it's something ridiculous, like he's got... 19 or 20 poles in his F1 career, not including the sprint poles as well, by the way, and that's a whole other beef I've got with sprints and 
this whole new pole position thing for or the shootout that they call it fourth sprint is where do the statistics go towards you know i've not even seen them pop up on wikipedia yet to say who's won the most sprints i think i had to go to i googled it and the first thing that came up with was um someone's blog as well which you know not no disrespect to you you guys whoever's blog it was doing a fantastic job to actually have this information there but isn't it the job and the role of, you know, Formula One and, you know, whoever the statisticians and, and timekeepers or librarians, whatever you want to call it, um, isn't it their responsibility to have this information up there and recorded? So it's it's very haphazard and not very thought about. And <laughs> classic case in point, I think it was after the sprint race on, on Saturday and here we go, I'm going into back to the sprint races again. Um, I was jumping on to do the, the grid talk, um, a sprint race review. Um, and I think it took us a couple of minutes to actually find the results because they weren't even published straight away. So we didn't even have an order. And again, the results we found on, um, some blog page or someone on, on Twitter or something like that. So, and then on Sunday for the actual Grand Prix, they were displaying the points incorrectly on the on the championship table. So figure that. It's not like they've had, you know, how many years of doing the graphics or whatever and having this twenty five point system two down to down to one in the top ten plus one for fastest lap to know what points are given out at the end of a race. It's beyond a bit of a joke. But anyway, <clears throat> let's talk about the Grand Prix. The Sunday Grand Prix, the 51 lap race, not the half an hour, 100 kilometer sprint or whatever. So we had Leclerc on pole for that too, didn't convert, obviously, as I said. Um, and we had Checo take the win as well. So like Leclerc having both the win pole positions over the weekend, we had Checo win both the races over the weekend too. And also he became the first repeat winner in Baku I can't believe I'm saying this because um, since the race came in back in 2016 when it was the European Grand Prix no one has actually won the race a second time um, so and it still very much is an exclusive Mercedes and Red Bull club too with with Perez winning the race a second time and also for Red Bull um, and yeah also level wins this season for Perez and, and Verstappen. So, I mean, could there be a title fight? Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like I said earlier on in the season too, I think it's quite close at the moment. And it's interesting that people point out the fact that Perez seems to be a bit of a street circuit specialist. He's doing really well. And when you look at the circuits that we've had so far this season, I think Bahrain's like the only permanent track that we've had. Melbourne, you know, hybrid, I wouldn't put it in the same kind of category as, as Saudi and Miami and, and whatever this one was, Baku, uh, in terms of being a, you know, bona fide street track. So, you know, Perez has kind of had the advantage in those in those specific races. What happens when we go back to Europe, to, you know, Imola and Barcelona and whatnot, but then he's lucky we've got Miami coming up and, and Monaco again too, so is he going to end up winning those? And, you know, that's just a theory that, that that's what's going to happen. Maybe, you know, maybe he is able to take it to Max this year, same way Rosberg did in 2016 to, to Hamilton, so... We'll just have to wait and see. 
But anyway, it's good on him. It's it's five points between them in the championship as well. Um, Max ended up having a bit of a you know compromised race, you can say. So Leclerc led early on before Max and Checo were able to pick him off. Red Bulls super quick with the DR that DRS advantage that they've got. Um, and then we had a yellow flag out early because Nick DeVries uh, stopped on the track or to the side of the track. And um, at first it was thought that he was just going to reverse back on and carry on. He might have just outbraked himself or whatever and things were fine. Red Bull put Max in the pits um, to pit at that point as well for his first stop. But then... After that, the safety car comes out because then it's discovered that DeVries has busted his suspension because he hit the wall. Um, And this made Max kind of upset as it would or any driver who falls afoul of a safety car because his teammate and then pretty much the rest of the field came in when the safety car was thrown out to make their stops, which meant that Max did lose effectively the lead at that stage he fell to third um which wasn't too bad and he was able to repass Leclerc when the race restarted um but then Checo just had had the pace and was able to run to the end unchallenged um whereas Max you know couldn't do much in third we had Fernando Alonso finishing outside the top three for the first time this season his incredible run of of third place finishes kind of comes to an end and um you know quite alarming when you know Aston Martin comes out and says that this is probably one of this has been one of their worst races or worser races of the year in terms of performance when they still finished fourth and mind you like a second off Leclerc on the podium as well so that was another thing is how um how Alonso was able to find pace and come back towards the end of the race and you know if there was a few more laps and then he could have picked off Leclerc and finished on the podium but he was fourth Lance Stroll seventh and had some issues as well but Alonso I mean who would have ever said that Alonso was an angel of a teammate no not Lewis Hamilton that's for sure or anyone else who was teammates with him um back in the late 2000s and even you know at Ferrari potentially with Felipe Massa um yeah he was offering all sorts of advice to Stroll during the race about you know use this brake setting or you know this use this sort of adjustment it, it's really working but yeah for them to effectively outperform Mercedes um and still be that, you know, second best team in terms of the Constructors' Championship and Alonso's, like, third on the on the Drivers' Championship as well. I think they did a really good job. And like I said, it's quite alarming that, you know, for one of their worst races, you could say, this season, it was quite positive. And Mercedes, in the end, were split by Stroll, Hamilton in sixth, Russell in eighth. And, you know, in qualifying, it was kind of the other way around. Alonso was behind the likes of Carlos Sainz and, and Hamilton, who just couldn't find couldn't find anything during the race and you know last year Baku was such a struggle for Mercedes again probably not as bad this year with you know not the not having the porpoising problems but you know I'll go over it later as well some changes that they've made you know in their technical department and whatnot as well it's not going to mean um you know instant gain in performance on track but it does mean that they'll probably be heading in a more positive direction with their car concept and whatnot which you know 
a lot of people have criticised them, you know, after after what they went through last year and the feedback that they've had from the drivers and, and the scrutiny that they've been under that, you know, why continue with it or why try to evolve it when you should just scrap it all together and, um, you know, start from scratch. So, and yes, there's obviously a lot of um, other things that go on behind the scenes um, and it's not as easy as, you know, pulling a page out of a book and, you know, starting over. Um, not that that can be an easy thing, depending on what's what's in the book. You know, if it's if you're Tolkien and you're writing Lord of the Rings, then perhaps perhaps not. Um, but yeah, if you know you're just doodling, or I don't know why I'm going down that rabbit hole. Anyway, so it's interesting. They sound seemed a lot more positive though, you know, compared to last year. But I don't know. And and Hamilton. In, in the races has been doing better he's still ahead on points than George Russell as well and a lot's been made about Russell being more comfortable in in this car than than Hamilton for example and whatnot so I think there's a bit to look forward to now that they've identified and made some changes in their their technical department and whatnot or someone's put their hand up and said yeah this is not working um, let's try something different, but I'll, I'll recap that once we get to the Miami preview or look ahead, but for Carlos Sainz as well, what a dreadful race, I mean, he was nowhere on the pace of his teammate, he was kind of anonymous all weekend as well, um, finished fifth, which, you know, for Ferrari, some points are quite handy at this stage, and they did receive a bit of a boost with the Leclerc podium as well, and jumped up, um, you know, closer to Mercedes in the constructors, I think it's like 14 points or something, well, not quite 14, yeah, it is 14 points, yeah, sorry, just maths, not my strong suit, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's far from where they want to be, and for Leclerc to get two poles as well, and then not be able to con convert that, I mean, that's just kind of going back to where Ferrari have been over the last few years, really, apart from 2020, um, the Annas Horribilis that that was, so, you know, where, where they need to make gains is on race pace and, you know, looking after their tyres, and again, the hard compound tyres seem to be their Achilles heel at the moment, so, yeah, covered off Lance Stroll, he was seventh, did a solid job, um, can't believe I'm saying that about Stroll these days, but, you know, credit's given where it's due, and, um, you know, he's, it's a good combination, <laughs> I never said that, he, I never thought I'd say that either, is Stroll and Alonso, so, um, they're doing alright, we had Yuki Tsunoda and Lando Norris, round out the points, or in the other way around, Lando Norris was ninth, and Sonoda in 10th, um, McLaren, much-awaited upgrade as well, brought to Baku, and I guess, you know, the fact that Oscar Piastri was, you know, unwell all weekend, um, horror, stomach bug, and he lost so much weight because he couldn't keep anything down as well, was the word from his manager, Mark Webber, um, for him to then just finish outside the points too would have, you know, it's like, wow. And then also just Baku being as bonkers as it is, um, it's hard to get a read on form. So I think they're kind of encouraged by what they've seen and, you know, seem more positive when it comes to those um, more traditional circuit races. 
Sunoda getting points for Alpha Tauri as well. Um, second race in a row, I believe that's happened. Um, bit of a miracle, I guess. But you know, Yuki's doing pretty good by comparison to his teammate DeVries, that's for sure. And it's a bit sad, really, because I came into the season with some, you know, solid expectations and hopes that, you know, someone who's gone into Formula E and become world champion and was highly rated by Mercedes um, would actually be quite solid, but unfortunately no and he was not the first time he crashed either in the weekend and neither was it the first um you know time that we had the alpines in trouble during the race too um because they had an incident prone weekend whether it was reliability and we saw pierre gasly's car on fire um and then they got it all ready for him i think in in sprint qualifying and then he crashed in sprint qualifying so and esteban ocon ended up having a start from the pit lane as well and ended up outside the points um because they went on an interesting strategy along with nico hulkenberg who also started in the points um sorry in the pit lane and uh yeah ended up 17th and Ocon was 15th so they I think they tried what um Albon did in Melbourne last year and yeah that didn't work for them and Ocon as well how scary would have been to see all those photographers at pit entry as well waiting because it was the end of the race I mean that's something that the FIA have to look into and make sure it doesn't happen um it's happened twice in two years now so you know go figures i know that you know melbourne grand prix organizers got into trouble um for the track invasion that had happened early this is you know just as bad so yeah what the hell's going on at the moment um you know i could i could say that it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a you know what free-for-all or just it's it's anarchy i guess you know let's do let's keep changing the format and you know like everyone's gonna love it not um also a bit of a horror show for alfa romeo as well and again i think you know a bit of scrutiny on you know valtteri bottas in terms of his performance again out qualified by his teammate joe guan yu um he ended up classified in the race but a lap down um and behind nico hulkenberg joe you know succumbing to some reliability problems as well so not the greatest time for them at the moment and then when you look at where they are in the standings um they do have six points down in eighth and they're ahead of alpha tauri and williams but you know are they in the same class as say haas probably not and then you know alpine as well with um their horrible weekend two weekends in a row where they've not scored points or you know had um both cars see the checkered flag uh they are behind mclaren still um by six points so yeah but you know it's early in the season and they can easily catch up Anyway, that's that's Baku. That's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix done. Looking ahead to Miami, I won't be watching Miami. <laughs> um, going away camping for the weekend. So, or it was a competition that a friend of ours won, and uh, at some wine festival. So I'll be enjoying wine 
while the um, Miami Grand Prix is going on and won't be uh, won't be covering it at all. So yeah, it depends on if I get reception, I'll actually be able to check on results and stuff like that. Uh, and I'll just have to watch the replay when I get home or the, the, the race highlights. But it's the second race. Sorry, it's the second race in this little run that we've got of five events in, in six weeks. So we'll have a week off after... Miami and then a triple header, uh, Imola, Monaco, and then Barcelona, I think it is. Another street race for Checo, is he going to get lucky here? Um, can we expect a surprise maybe to the Red Bulls? I don't know. They were pretty strong here last year too, and despite Ferrari being on pole position, um, you know, the Red Bulls in the race were just mighty and were able to overturn them. Um, like I was saying, there was changes at Mercedes, so James Allison back in as technical director, um, while the previous technical director now, Mike Elliott, who, you know, was in that position and, and went down and effectively designed, you know, the 2022 car um, and was in charge of that. He's put his hand up and said, well, look, you know, this is not really working. And rather than, you know, firing him or, you know, demoting him, he's ended up with a promotion to, to chief technical officers, which is the role that Allison was in. And perhaps, you know, it's a sign of how good Mercedes are with people management, which is something that I really, you know, I love the Mercedes organization, you know, and, and their structure and everything. And, you know, everyone, it doesn't seem toxic at all is, is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, some teams probably would have fired Elliot and said, well, you can bugger off and we don't want to see you again. But, you know, they've probably identified that, you know, Elliot's skill sets are more suited to that CTO role while Alison, you know, who was going through, I guess, burnout or, you know, talking about how TDs, designers, they have shelf lives in F1 and he thought he might be near the end of it. So for him to take a break when he did and then now he says he's come back rejuvenated is really good. So perhaps he'll carry on. I mean, look at Adrian Newey. He's just signed on apparently for another, you know, um, stint with Red Bull. Um, in his role, you know, they might as well just give him a lifetime contract at this stage, given how much he's contributed. So I think that's where for Mercedes, not in the short term, of course, because it's, it's hard to, you know, be like, cool, I'm in charge now and here's upgrades to make the car faster. It doesn't work like that. Um, it'll come with time and at least... We know that next year there is a very low chance, if you know things go right, that Mercedes will be in the position that they've been in the last year and a half, for example, with this concept. They'll have to go down a new concept route. They're supposedly talking about some upgrades coming later this season with, you know, going down a different side pod route. So maybe that could even be, you know, a step in the direction. We also heard that Franz Tost is out at AlphaTauri, kind of put into retirement, I guess. Um, and he's been team boss of that outfit since they came in back in 2006. So, you know, he's obviously seen a lot and, you know, undergone massive changes within the sport and, and his organization as well. And, you know, we've seen the rise, I guess, of several of uh, Red Bull 
talent or rise and fall and you know not not even getting there for some of them as well you know when you look at the likes of um Bourdais and and Sebastian Buemi, Jaime Alguasuari um all those drivers that you know didn't make it John Eric Verne as well um who went on and did better things elsewhere uh that never made it to the senior Red Bull team or ones that even did make it to the senior Red Bull team and didn't cut it quite there, like Danny Kvyat and Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly uh, and whatnot. But yeah, you know, when you look at names like Sebastian Vettel and, and the win that Vettel took um, in 2008 for them at Monza, the team's first win, that was special. Pierre Gasly, of course, doing the same thing in 2020. But yeah, it, you know, well done to Franz Tost, I have to say. And it's it's not been the easiest for this team recently. There's been a lot of talk and speculation about whether they might be sold off because the new boss at Red Bull since the passing of um, Dietrich Mateschitz as well um, doesn't really care much about the racing and whatnot. So, you know, why have two teams and when one of them is kind of a liability at the moment or whether they'll be relocated to the UK out of their um, Fienza base in Italy. But um, they've opted to, you know, go in a different direction with some new leadership. They've got uh, Laurent McKees, who's been at Ferrari last couple of years. And interestingly as well, Peter Bayer from... Peter Bayer? I don't know. Anyway, they bought him <laughs> from the FIA as well. So, you know, and when you look at McKees's background as well, he was um, part of the FIA for quite a while before controversially making that switch over to Ferrari. And Peter Bayer, 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 um, kind of in that sort of overarching role, like in, you know, like as. CEO or management role that um, the FIA president Mohammed Ben Sulayem put him in, you know, after he said he would be stepping back from the day-to-day stuff, which, you know, he got into quite a bit of trouble for, um, for being too hands-on. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there at the FIA um, going into next year. So that's basically what I have, you know, in terms of looking forward to Miami. I mean, because it's inevitable that Red Bull will win. I don't know. I want to be surprised when I get home Monday, Monday afternoon, hungover as heck. And, oh, who won the race? Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, that would have been so good. Ah, where's the ibuprofen? I know that won't be the case on both fronts <laughs> in terms of the hangover and also Sonoda winning, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Anyway, let's talk about supercars as well because supercars went on a bit of a hiatus as well since um, Melbourne and the Australian Grand Prix support round. I mean, that's not true because they took a week off it was a, there was Easter, and then they did the center of gravity test as well in at the Tickford Racing Base here in Melbourne while the f- um, while the freight was still here before going off back to their bases. You know, a lot of them being based in the uh, southeast of Queensland, and you know the rest being based here in Melbourne. Had the time off over Easter, and then you know driving all the way out to Western Australia. So that's where the the title about the hardheads going at it out west comes into play because we had a couple of hardheads in the likes of Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki putting on some 
awesome racing in uh, race seven, the first race of the weekend. Um, and then there was some controversy involved in that as well, which I'll get to a bit. But I alluded to the center of gravity test. Um, there was another parity adjustment, of course, after the Grand Prix support round. Um, you know, it was clear as crystal um, that the Camaros were in another um, in another realm, you know, at Albert Park. Uh, and they've ended up doing a ballast adjustment on them with 4.9 kilos shifted to I think behind the sorry behind the fuel cell or in front of the fuel cell or something towards the rear of the car I guess what that showed in Perth as well I mean the field is already pretty close and whatnot and I think you know teams like Erebus and and the Red Bull Ample Racing have just done a great job with the setup that they're in at the moment. And we're seeing, you know, the likes of David Reynolds um, in the Grove Racing Mustang up there as well. He's, we saw him, you know, kind of challenging at the Grand Prix as well, but, you know, not quite there. But, you know, he looked a lot closer, Chas Mostert in the Walkinshaw Mustang as well, so you know, let's just hope moving on to tracks like Simmons Plains and then um, having that hiatus again before Darwin. Um, that yeah, we see we see some more Mustangs featuring, but I think at the moment the form teams, regardless of parity or not, are very much Erebus and 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 Red Bull. So it's really good to see um, Erebus in particular get up there with their young charges. We also had the announcement um, before the Perth Super Sprint that Shane Van Gisbergen signs on, um, putting pen to paper on a multi-year deal, but apparently there's an option to get out at the end of 2024, um, end of next year, and in a TV interview that he did with um, Supercars and, and Fox Sports, he um, kind of said, yeah, it's to the end of next year, so maybe he's alluding to the fact that while he's got this agreement in place, he doesn't see himself being in supercars beyond the end of next year. So, you know, dropping that hint a little bit too early. Maybe he wasn't supposed to say that. Who knows? Um, what is clear, though, is that, you know, he's kind of clarified a lot of his thoughts and, you know, made it clear that, you know, he's keen to walk to, uh, keen to work on evolving where the Gen 3 cars are at the moment, um, even if he's not liking it but he's here to do his um duty he's also here to just now keep quiet and do his his talking on track which is what we saw in newcastle in that second race when he did go out and um win win it um ahead of mostert in the end but um it you know the fact that Scott McLaughlin went off and did his own thing, and congratulations, Scotty, winning an IndyCar over the weekend as well, um, and Van Gisbergen as well, potentially leaving for NASCAR, who knows, or to do whatever kind of racing he wants to do in America. It was interesting to hear that um, he's not liking uh, what's going on in Europe at the moment, and America's where where he sees himself in terms of future. And this is interesting given that Van Gisbergen at one point in his career was doing a lot of racing in Europe as well as racing, I think, still for Techno Autosports at the time, but doing Blancpain, you know, and racing at like Spa 24-hour and stuff like that. Um, now it seems to be more, you know, 
focused on things like NASCAR and, you know, possibly IMSA. But yeah, I think he would kill it in sports cars, given how great he is in, in GT machinery. So, um, yeah, I just think it would be a shame if, if he does decide to move on. Of course, it allows, you know, another crop of um, stars to come to the form. But, you know, he, he's been he's been great and, you know, talk about, yeah, can be a bit boring at times with, with him dominating, but that's just the talent of the guy and I've got nothing against it. He's been excellent. And again, we saw that on show in race seven, Brody Kostecki, he's been the form guy so far this season, but Gizzy with his nine lap tire delta ends up getting him towards the end of the race. Um, saw some excellent defending questionable defending maybe you could say but you know this is what you got to do we know Shane's a hardhead Brody's a hardhead um and there was a bit of a bump and run at turn six on the penultimate lap which Erebus ended up protesting per post race nothing came of it it was dismissed ahead of the final race of the weekend as well so it was weird having that kind of cloud over you know the first race of the weekend um and it hadn't been resolved towards till the end um and the fact that Brody was also given a bad sportsmanship flag for blocking as well um, in that little sequence of events uh, was quite interesting. I don't think what he was doing was, you know, it wasn't like a Max Verstappen, I'm going to like just cut you off from the other side of the track. It was very, you know, touch and go and, you know, let let the boys race kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, it ended up being resolved and, you know, nothing, nothing, no one was penalised, which was good, and, you know, Kostecki's still leading the championship, Erebus is still at the top of the team's championship, which is awesome for them, doing really well, we had Will Brown winning um, his first race in a couple of years, I think 2021 was the last time he won um, for Erebus as well, and their first ever 1-2 in supercars, I mean, Erebus have been around since, what, 2013 so 10 years now um they've had some wins here and there and you know they definitely you know came into their own when you know they had Reynolds and Anton Di Pasquale there um at the early part of the Gen 2 era but man you know the fact that they've not had a 1-2 until now and you know seeing these um young charges pull it off is is really hats off to them really love their work always been a fan of Betty Clemenko and the efforts that she's put in with her team to put Erebus where they are and you know genuine front runners and championship contenders so this is awesome um Will Brown leads off the pole position ahead of Reynolds um Kostecki, though, picks off Reynolds um, on the first lap. Then we had Reynolds punted off at the final corner by Di Pasquale. Um, it was more of a, you know, bump and run than what we saw Van Gisbergen involved in. Um, and, of course, Di Pasquale was penalised 15 seconds for it. Um, the bump and run that we saw <laughs> Van Gisbergen do was very much akin to what we saw him do to Mostert in race two back in Newcastle and of course that was very much oh you know that's just racing and that's how um Shane races it was still fair at the end of the day um but yeah Anton was penalized 15 seconds here 6.2 second win for Brown over Kostecki James Courtney in third um the only other Mustang on the podium for the weekend other than Reynolds as well and you know good on JC as well for rebounding after what would have been a tough um weekend in Melbourne at the Grand Prix you know having that car fire but then also being on the podium 
but then getting that taken away from him with the penalty because he put Reynolds into the gravel at turn one during one of the races so you know I think that's really good and really sad to see um you know again the Shell V Power Racing Team and and Cam Waters as well who's a Mustang you know regular front runner to not be featured featured at all or up there in in the thick of it so they really need to do some soul searching and hopefully they can get themselves into the battle as well in the coming rounds um difficult to i guess say that they'll be in championship contention but you know waters is someone who's won races regularly and been in the thick of it with van gisbergen in previous years so yeah it's it's a bit you know off-putting that he's not up there um we had brock feeney win another race you know three wins for him in the last four events and he converted pole position um had an even start with brown but you know went on and just was clinical in the race 6.8 second win um and you know very much taking up after his predecessor in in jamie wincup and I'm sure Wincup, as as team principal, is rather proud of um, seeing young Feeney perform the way he has been. Um, and both the Erebus cars finishing behind um, P2 and P3 with Kostecki third. Um, and round winner as well, despite not having scored a race win So this weekend. So 100 points lead in the championship for him over Chaz Mostert, who hangs on to P2. Um, and Mozzie kind of... Not having a great weekend, but, you know, having a better weekend than they did this time last year in 2022. It was a 15th place finish in the first race, 4th and 5th. So I think those two top five finishes on Sunday really kind of, you know, brought them back into the hunt. And, you know, 100 points is, you know, might be a race win's worth um, in this super sprint format when you've got the three races. But, you know, he could easily turn it on somewhere like Simmons or, or Darwin as we've seen him done done before so you know it's about you know not having those really bad days where you're finishing you know outside the top 15 or top 20 or having a dnf against you as we've seen with van gisbergen having to play catch up but he's only 136 points behind now in third 171 back to will brown in fourth and then brock feeney 220 behind in fifth so you know don't rule out young brock either which is quite (laughs) quite interesting to say in only his second season in in the category and he's doing really well um but yeah like i said with Chaz, consistency is required um we saw uh brown having a off day on saturday and then turning things around on sunday where you know he had no qualifying pace no race pace and then saturday oh sorry on sunday pole position front row uh wins a race finishes second and then the opposite for shane who was up there for the first two races of the weekend and then last race he ends up qualifying like 21st or something and still ended up coming back and finishing 12th which is just you know a testament to how awesome he is at the moment but um you know that's probably where the championship is possibly going to be won or lost who knows there's still a lot of races to go um quick mention too like not not the way i want to mention it but 600th career race for mark winterbottom as well good old frosty still out there um 
doing his thing. Uh, the 600th race was race 7 on, on Saturday. Not the race he would have wanted to remember. Not the weekend he would have wanted to remember. His best result was 18th and he had two of those. And then um, race 9 on, on Sunday afternoon was 19th. So, you know... Not not great. It's a team that, you know, have shown flashes of brilliance and, you know, we've seen Scott Pye take him to the podium in the past and, you know, Frosty himself has had a pole position at the next track we're going to in, in Tassie. But, yeah, it's just not been the greatest start for them in this Gen 3 era, even though Newcastle was positive. So I hope that they can um, turn things around and really feature in... Um, the hunt for top three and even for race wins. I'd love to see Frosty win another race and also, you know, winning with a different manufacturer other than Ford because, yeah, he's all, he won all his races and his Bathurst and his um, championship with Ford back in the day in the old Falcon. So, yeah. Anyway, I think I'm done, just about done for this one. Thank you for sticking with me and, and tuning in and, you know listening to what I have to say uh, I'll be back next week after I've got around to watching the Miami Grand Prix and I'll, I'll recap that for you and any other um, news that breaks uh, in the next seven days um, as I said at the start of the show feel free to follow me on socials at hit the apex media is the Twitter um, there is a link tree that's in the podcast anyway in the description and that'll lead you to all the relevant areas that you need to go to to follow me. But other than that, I hope everyone stays safe and takes care um, and see you guys next time. Ciao.